No, that's totally fine. It's in, it's in grabbing distance. <laughs> it's, almost, it's like the stuff I tell my son never to do. So yeah. Just because you see it doesn't mean you have to touch it. No, that's cool. Uh, that's what it's there for. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was um, going through the same thing when you were talking about podcasting and how the apps, they they take up so much space on your phone. Yeah. So do you have an iPhone or do you have? I have an iPhone, yeah. So one of the things that I've done for mine, at least, is um, I've gone in and done the customized. Like you can customize how many podcasts get downloaded. So I only keep the three most current. And anything after that, it's like I don't. Oh. Yeah, I don't I don't save or I don't keep anything after that. Yeah, I, I didn't even look into it when I realized I was downloading everything. Uh, yeah. You know, it makes sense, but in my mind, it was just all or nothing, and I was just like, nothing. <laughs> Dude, so what else have you been up to lately? Um, oh, I started, uh, I started school again. I'm going over to Hancock. Really? What are you taking? Uh, I'm just taking one math class. I'm just taking algebra two. Oh, okay. And so, cause it's been about uh, five years since I did algebra one and I, I passed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I would hope. <laughs> you know? But it was, it was a struggle. And so, and I did, and I was doing exactly what they all said, like never to do kind of thing. It was like, don't, uh, if you're going to, if you struggle with algebra one, just go and knock out algebra two. Yeah. But, uh, I was I, was, I just, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, well, and also I didn't think I was ever going to really apply it and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, it's whatever. I'm going to, my, my plan for using my, um, cause I only had one semester left for my VA bill, uh, my GI bill. And, and basically I was kind of using that as like a, as a lifeline because, uh, when I had to use it the first time was, uh, I, I had just like been out of work and I, I needed an income and I was like, Oh wait, I know the, I could use my GI bill and get paid to go to school. So I'm going to do that. And then I, while I was in school, I got in a situation where I wasn't, I, I, I worked myself out of that. Yeah. And so I was like, I got this one semester left to, for my GI bill. And if I, if I use it, then I won't have that lifeline. Yeah, just think, so I was using college as like a worst case scenario kind of thing, which is totally not something yeah. you're supposed to do. But, um, and so, and so I'm actually not even using my GI bill for this one math class. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause to, to, to use it, uh, you have to have a full load. Oh, okay. Okay. I, th I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's 12 or 14 credits and, and I was like, there's no way I can take a full load with this math class and so with algebra two and so i'm just focusing on that and how does the gi bill work like i always i mean they pay for you to go to school but is it like they they pay for x amount of units yeah well no it's not x amount of units it's uh, x amount of um of time okay it's it's how many uh semesters and courses and stuff have you taken and oh no no no, no i'm sorry it's an x amount of money okay yeah, they're like, and that's that's it too, because, um, because they recommend that you use it at a uh, at a community college or something like that. Because you can get like a full ride paid can, for. Yeah, you can stretch it out, and there are some guys who go who take it to a university, and it's it's gone within a year, like less than a year. You know, I'd imagine, yeah. And so, and they're like, like if you already have college and your and your next only step is a university kind of thing, then yeah, go ahead and apply it, but. For for me, who was just using it to get my associates, it's like I, mean, I just take it to a community college. And actually, I was um, 
the first time I used it was to pay for my trade school. Up oh, in, really? Yeah, up in Washington. There was, there's some trade schools that would, uh, would feed into that. And so, and then even when I was um, with the local union, the, uh, I was with a heavy equipment um, union, uh, they, they, I, was, I had the option of applying it there too because you have to do a little, their little school stuff while you're in there. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I don't think I, I applied it there. But uh, so a good, a good chunk of it was like a good quarter of it was taken from the trade school, which, which was great and totally perfect at the time. Yeah. And, and made living in a hotel that much easier, <laughs> you know? So. It is interesting how these things, these needs change over time. Yeah. Like I, I've been off and on with going to community college for the past couple of years. Yeah. Like initially I went so that I can take the welding courses and do that. And I thought that that was going to be it for me. I just, I'm not going to take any other classes, just welding. Yeah. I'll start welding and then this will be it for the rest of my life. Yeah. And very quickly that changed. It's like, nope, this isn't going to be my, my end all be all. So yeah. then I found myself going back and taking a couple classes thinking, well, maybe I'll work for my associates. And then I landed in another career field outside of welding. And I was like, well, no, I don't have time for school now. Mm. And then now with the, with the kids and my wife finishing up her bachelor's now, mm -hmm. It's like, well, why, why don't I just go and get a degree and, you know, just use it as like a, like a backup. Yeah. I'm happy with where I work, but you never know. It's, it's always good to continue and expand your, your knowledge base. Totally. And, and like you said, it's, uh, it's, it is like um, a kind of like a backup thing and, and I'm able to look at it now and see, I was like, okay, that last decade of my life, um, I totally had a sought out plan and man, that plan moved around like three or four times, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, and so now I'm able to, to decide, I was like, okay, you know, I'm just going to do school just so I can stay flexible. Yeah. And uh, because who knows how I'm going to be able to apply this. And so I'm looking at a, at a bachelor's that can be shot into like a bunch of different fields and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, um, uh, social studies of uh, liberal arts or a liberal, liberal, liberal arts degree. Oh, okay. And so, cause, um, yeah, I, it seems like uh, everything I, I keep looking at that requires some college education, um, that is applicable to, uh, all those different fields. And so, cause I'm always, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. You know? <laughs> and so, and, but luckily like for, for your case, for me going from welding and then hitting the, the career that you're, that you're, that you're in now, like it, it still relates, doesn't yeah. it? And so it does. I mean, welding and, and manufacturing or machining, mm -hmm. you still have to know how to read prints. You still need to know your basic algebra and well with machining, some more trigonometry, but well, I think we had to use trig as well when, Doing things like handrails and yeah, and working with rise and run uh, when building staircases and things like that. Still so understanding the metal, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I feel like welding's the base of is just like 
this is metal. This is how it acts. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is what you need to know of putting things together. And so with, I figure machining, you still need to know, okay, this is, this is metal. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it too, it's like, I talk with some of my coworkers, like I use the term like machining with soul. Sometimes no. it's like, you kind of have to go off feel. Really? Like, what, what do you really? think it's going to feel like when you're cutting that? That that's because I, I I feel like since you're you're making something I mean it makes sense because that's exactly how it is with wood I love doing woodworking yeah and my my favorite woodworking projects are the ones that I don't have a plan for yeah that I'm just kind of just going with how it works and I just but I feel like metal is so much more I don't know indefinite and so you have to like, yeah plan I feel like I feel like metal is much more forgiving in the sense that. A lot of old timers back when I was welding would say, you know, carpenters have to get it right. Yeah. Because show me the show me the wood welding that yeah. you, you can't do it. No, 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 not that's that's true. Maybe it's a lot of glue and sawdust to fill <laughs> no. those cracks. But <laughs> you know, now now there is a lot of that those different um fillers and things like that. <laughs> but but if you're doing like straight framing, yeah, you know, then no. Uh, um a, a, a table that's not level yeah you know, that just because of the warp of the board but i mean you see like the what i got going on here and i mean i i had purchased a skill saw and then i have a couple other tools that translate from iron working to woodworking so okay. i have like a port band saw and a reciprocating saw yeah certain things like that and i feel like Woodworking has sort of slowly becoming like a guilty pleasure. Oh yeah! <laughs> like I've got you know s stored up wood. I feel like I'm gonna start building a rack in the in the back, and I'm th I'm watching videos on YouTube. Like that looks fun, and it, it's it's simple. Like yeah. welding is so loud, and so yeah. it's fun too. But I think like woodworking is much more calming. They're both messy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so they're both you're gonna make a mess with. But uh, at least woodworking, you can get a like a, a fan or like something just sucking all the sawdust as you're working with it. Yeah, exactly. So, and I don't think neighbors get too crazy when it comes to working with wood. They're like, ah, eh, okay, he's just chopping wood. But if they see like arcs flashing from yeah. your garage, they're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on over there? Oh, definitely. And there's even there's even regulation for that kind of sense. And I was like, hey, you have to have a screen up if you're putting out a, a certain amount of. Was it um, just the however bright the yeah the ultraviolet lights of, yeah. the, of the arc <laughs> yeah yeah you can blind people oh definitely <laughs> yeah. and so that was yeah that's something that they didn't didn't ever have in a in country and in, in like in in Afghanistan and stuff yeah like that. <laughs> you know we just didn't worry about that but still oh um, yeah that's right you were doing uh, like construction work out there yeah well we would um I was I was working with um. Actually, I was working with one of the only machinists in the Marine Corps. There's only there's only like two or three, and uh, I just so happen to have the one of the three in in this like far off region in um, in Afghanistan. The 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 fob I was at was called Castle, and basically it was like it was right up against the border of Pakistan, and so they had this machinist just because it was so far out there that I was like. If we can't get a part to you, we need to have somebody who can at least try to make something. Was he civilian or he was actually enlisted? He was actually enlisted. And wow. that's when I was like, and so he was a, a super rare guy. I think he, he was, he was a kind of a troublemaker. He was either <laughs> a, a, like an, an E2 or E3 because he kept getting busted down. <laughs> but he was so needed yeah. that it, it, it didn't even matter because. <laughs> so I'm curious about that because I recently went to visit with my brother. He's in the Air Force and he does 
precision calibration on equipment, on precision measuring equipment. And so they, he took me on a little mini tour of what he does. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's nice. You know, you got little machines and doodads and things that you bring the measurements back to where they need to be or calibrate them. <laughs> but then he took me to the machine shop slash welding shop and it was massive. And they had such an amazing like shadow board. Everything was super organized. And I was thinking to myself, well, I understand things on base probably need to be repaired or fixed, but is there anything that's done that then gets sent out to say people who are out in the field? And in in your case, like what it what is it that they're machining? I mean, is it just yeah. replacement parts, say for for service vehicles? Is it? I mean, for for where I was, it was it was um, like replacement parts. Like I was um, and and. <laughs> in the need of dozer teeth, you know, and, <laughs> dozer uh, teeth. Yeah, I can imagine welders are probably super busy out there. Yeah. For the most part, you know, and so, and that was, that was mainly what he was doing is he was doing a lot cause he didn't have the kind of equipment that he needed because, and so for, for something that was super nuts, uh, that we would have to get it from the state side from one of those parts and then they would ship it over to him. And then if he w needed to adjust it a little bit, he'd be able to be there to kind of, I was like, Oh, you know, they got it pretty close, but we just need to, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of adjust this, the teeth size of this cog or whatever kind of stuff. So what is the branch, I guess, of the Marine Corps? Cause I think I know of the CBs yeah. in the, in the Navy. Right. But uh, th does each branch of the military have their own specific units that do this stuff or it, not really in a sense um uh usually it, it like for the marine corps it was the engineers okay and um they would all kind of fall under most of the engineer uh, trade and stuff like that and so and i i believe the army is the same way um the Air Force runs on their such their own program. I, I I I don't even try to keep track with with how they operate, and so and and none of our stuff ever like talks to each other with it, and so it's kind of kind of difficult. But yeah. <clears throat> the the so in that sense, I guess it would be the the just the engineers, and so and that's what I, I was in the Marine Corps. I was an engineer in the Marine Corps, and and now I'm a CB, and so, but there's there's a different. Um, camaraderie sense and when it comes to like the navy's cbs and the marine corps engineers like the marine corps engineers were like we're all we're all marines oh yeah i'm an engineer or he was like oh yeah we're all marines oh yeah i'm a motor t or something like that yeah uh but the the navy having with the cbs it's it's kind of like no i'm a cb oh yeah i'm in i'm in the navy you know, kind of, oh, kind of okay. it, it, it's, it's a little bit more segregated I gotcha. in that sense. And so, and then you have like, uh, admin, uh, admin sailors that will go branch off and help, uh, the CBs. And then they, they, they're there and, and hooking and jabbing with us too, pretty much, you know? And so the, we get a, it's almost like we, we integrate people into the CBs, but it's never like one, one giant shipmate force kind of thing <laughs> so yeah i guess it, it, it to me it feels like if if uh if someone was like oh yeah you're 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 a machinist so you're like a welder it's like well i mean yeah it's like i can do that you know but it's yeah. really not what that is and so so they're more about title than about the actual branch branch yeah and so 
But uh, to answer your original question um, would be that, yeah, there is a lot of cases where the civilian side or not civilian side, the state side would have to machine something or produce something and then send it out. And so as far as in country, I, I don't I don't know about some of the more critical zones, um, but there's a lot of other uh, man. I mean, we, we've never left. Uh, a country that we've occupied. And so we have bases pretty much in every country of the world kind of thing. And so for those places that don't have the resources and things like that, then, then we, uh, then yeah, the, the stateside main shops, those big places will manufacture it and then send it out to them. I gotcha. Yeah. Cause I was thinking like, man, would they have to like commandeer a shop right. and say, we're here and you know, we're going to have to use your facilities and at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like it, tough. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that they're there and I mean, the network that's that's developed too, if maybe there's something going on in a, in a country where there there is activity going on and they need parts, but you guys have a base already overseas that is also semi-equipped, uh, it can probably get a part to them faster until maybe stateside can churn over what, exactly what they need. In, in, uh, in a perfect world. You know, that's how it works. But at the same time, I felt like every single time that we'd be in a need or something like that, or for the most part, if it wasn't in some remote scenario, it would be contracted. Okay. And there, there's a lot of civilian uh, contract force. And so that, that would handle a lot of that. And then even on the bases, like on, on Leatherneck, there's the whole civilian sector side of that where they have all their... Um, uh, higher echelon shops that are working side by side with the military, but it's, it's still like, uh, um, a company, you know? And so I have a lot of, a lot of buddies that were in the mechanics, uh, the heavy equipment mechanics. Actually, I have one buddy in particular, uh, started with an a Andre or anyway, really good mechanic. Um, he, we we left Afghanistan together, and he got out of the military, got out of the Marine Corps like um, less th- like in that month, yeah, and and then just went right back to Leatherneck, went right back to where we were, uh, just to just to get a because he got a job uh, as one of those um, third shop contractors, and so it was just a constant rotating thing, and so. Man, I, I I totally would have done that, but they don't really have that kind of element for the stuff that I wanted to be doing heavy equipment wise. Yeah, and so, but the the contractor work is pretty much it's it's a heavy business. It's oh a yeah, really well paid. That's what my brother has expressed to me that you though the military they they take care of you financially with your housing and among other things. Um, once you decide to reach out into the civilian world to look for jobs within your your same field Mm -hmm. oftentimes that money is i mean it's very very enticing yeah it is and so i don't know if the that's the reason why the military when someone's contract is coming up they're really trying to keep you because they know that depending on whatever it is your skill set is uh the civilian world wants to offer you more yeah no, it is. And, and there is this whole kind of um, like, I don't, I don't know, 
conspiracy element to it or whatever, but the, a lot of those contracting companies, um, are owned by prior heavy enlisted or heavy officer, uh, like, uh, heavy ranked, um, prior military individuals. And so they get these contracts by basically rubbing elbows with, with the guys who are offering them the, the, and then they're, they're just kind of was like, Hey, you know, I heard you need this. And they're talking about putting up a contract. Why don't you cut me into that? You know? And then when you get out, you'll just be right there with me, you know? And that's interesting. I can see how that would work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not really like not legit. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it, there it's it's these guys who just have figured out the system well and it's networking in a sense too oh, totally. i would think oh definitely and that's it's a good old boy system yeah and that's where it kind of gets kind of gets a little shady where not necessarily the best uh position or best person for the job is going to get there because i was like no man that that guy he was in this he was in the rough with me you yeah know? like how could i not swayed in his direction and so I was like, yeah, you know, he's, he might not be allowed in the country anymore, but still, like, <laughs> he's a dirty individual. But. That was a conversation we were having about just the, the economics of things or the economics of the world and how, you know, it, it really just people want to talk about what's fair in, in life. Yeah. And when we're talking about these just social filters that people have to go through with one regard, it can be with admissions to universities. In this one, it can be the acquisition of con government contracts or jobs. And whereas people on the outside might look at like, well, that's not fair that he gets one because they were, they served together overseas yeah. or whatever. I can do the job better or I might be bidding less for the work. It's one of those, it's one of those social filters, unfortunately, that exist. It's who you know. It's, it's, yeah. You can't make it first come first serve because you're um, you're leaving out the people who who don't wake up early, or you're leaving out the disabled who can't make it there fast yeah. enough. I mean, someone's getting left out always, you know, in in, in one sense or the other. But and it, even in that sense, that it's a like a social filter and stuff like and that you can't you can't be too upset at the person who's throwing, who's given the job out or whatever, or given the contract out for taking somebody they know, because if they have personal relations and know that this is a reliable individual, or that too, yeah, you know, then, then maybe that's a good reason not to go with somebody who's, who's going to be bidding lower. You know, Cause I was like, I mean, I don't really know you. I know that you're going to do the job. You like everything says that you're going to do the job just as well, but you'll do it cheaper. But I know for a fact that this guy wakes up at 4.30 a.m. with a cup of coffee in his hand yeah. and, and goes until 9 o'clock at night, you know, kind of thing. And I think it is the outliers who make it, who make it look bad. Yeah. Like, I got the government contract and I'm just sitting on my hands and we're just raking in that government money yeah. because we're signed on for the next 30 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. so <that> <laughs> and there's nothing they can do. Yeah. And so there's things I could be doing, but yeah. There's a couple engineers that I've had conversations with who worked in aerospace, and I'm not sure the tolerances that are required for some of the things that you guys might have gotten out in the field, but at least here stateside, there's like a huge list of paperwork and procedural things that you have to do. And working in construction myself, I know that, yes, it does need to be to print, but yeah. when it finally gets in the field, it also has to work. Yeah. So your prints... 
I, I might have them, but it might not be that way once it's installed. <laughs> once, they, once it actually gets there. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. No, the, the, the tolerances are, are about, are pretty similar. We do a pretty good job of making it similar. And, and, and so, um, in some degree, yeah, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of the stuff with the, the, um, like, is there someone checking you? Is there a QC or is there like an inspector? There, there's an internal, um, inspector for, for those things like that. I, we just pretty much have because annually for most places, for most shops, depending on the severity and what kind of equipment, some like that, not, that was just heavy equipment, uh, for some things that are more technical and more life risking and stuff like that they have much more frequent inspections yeah um i imagine for like aircrafts and things like that right right and so uh oh man like and also it depends on on where you're actually located for certain things uh general i know um marine corps wide we would pretty much have an inspection of of quality control and stats and everything of your paperwork of, of your, um, a lot of, a lot of record checking and stuff like that. And then, uh, also a vehicle operation, making sure that it's all actually, it's like, okay, you said that this, uh, piece of equipment is, uh, running fuel a little hot, like prove it, you know, kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. This is, I was like, all right, sweet. Um, but then, uh, when I, when we were in Japan, or when I was in Japan, we would have uh, biannual inspections because we would have one. Since we were working side by side with the with the Japanese, we would have the uh, the our stateside stuff for our hazmat, and then the Japanese would come through and then check uh, the the stuff that actually involves them, like mainly our, our hazmat stuff. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, is everything, uh, uh, all up to spec? Do you don't have any leaks that are draining into the, the drains? Cause it was all goes right into the ocean and stuff. Oh yeah. I think there's some countries that are way more strict on it. Yeah. And then there's others that you hear about. I mean, that they're just like, yeah, just put it in the dirt. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really convenient. But, um, <laughs> and, and so like, uh, how, how the, how the, how we worked was basically like, we have our set of standards Yeah. that like stateside, we will carry those everywhere we go. If someone has higher standards, we will go and meet to their standards. If someone has lower standards, that sucks. We're going to stick with the standards that we have stateside, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. uh, un until you're in those uh, situations or whatever. Where, yeah. Uh, but so in the Marine Corps, it was heavy equipment. Are you able to talk about what you're what yeah, you yeah. building the CBs? Yeah, no, I'm 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 doing a uh, I'm still doing heavy equipment, um, and but I'm I'm in the reservist, and so I'm basically I'm in a non-deployable unit. Okay. And because uh, the unit that I'm in is focused on training, uh, training other CBs and other heavy equipment individuals and stuff like that. Um, but because I'm in a non-deployable unit. And I'm required to have a certain amount of active time, which would be like if I if I want to deploy, it needs to be available for me. Yeah. And I also have to do like a, a two week active time, like doing something. Uh, my unit will pretty much, if if I can find an open spot, for um, like a two week mission in Africa. You know, it's like hey. 
um, the this this other unit's going out, uh, and they just so happen to need a heavy equipment operator. You know, my unit will do everything they can to make me get there, which is which is really cool because um, deployable units will hold their their individuals because they're like, no, we want you to use your active time the way we need it, you know. And and so but these this one that I'm with are like, no, we want you to use your active time in any way that you really can. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, sweet. Thanks. And so that's that's how I, I was able to jump on um, uh, a different unit to go to Hawaii. OK. And, and then I was able to extend that two weeks into a month and do uh, do rim pack, which is coming up again. And, and so I've been holding on to my time, kind of hoping that maybe I could go back and do that again. But, um, what I, what there's, there's a, there's a a project we're doing it like in Antarctica or something like that. Really? Man, you guys are all over the place. uh, Yeah. Like I said, like everywhere in the world. Yeah. And so, but this, uh, this project I'm, I, I want to try to try to jump on i don't if i know about it i don't think it's secret well uh, like i guess we can just give examples then like so if if there's a is there like a job board that's up and it's like there's a bridge and say in antarctica they need built or there's you know a dozer that someone needs to drive over here is it kind of like you just put your name in the hat and then seniority usually or unit based or yeah uh there is there is the seniority and there is this uh like like a job board um, it's, it's a, it's an online thing where you just check and it's like, Oh, Hey, what are the different options and what are the different things that are happening right now? And they usually tell you like about how long it yeah. will be. Yeah. They usually give you risk assessment or there's like maybe code words like hot territory and you think, oh, okay, well it's not temperature they're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, <laughs> they, they do. Yeah, Cause I was, like, I was like, I don't know. I've never really looked, looked for <laughs> that. I've, I've never really cared. And so, but no, that, that, there is. And so in the sense of, um, you're out there because and it's it, like, dude, it, I thought this was going to be cake and I got bullets flying it, now. Yeah. What's going on here? It tells you like where you're going. And so, and, and everyone has a pretty much good idea of what the, what the temperate zone is, <laughs> you know, in that area. Yeah, you're going to Hawaii. So, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. it's not too bad. Not too exactly, bad. you know. But um, there's some places like this uh, this place, uh, Chibuti. <laughs> what? Yeah, and I'm trying to remember where that is. <laughs> you're not joking, right? Like no. that's a real name. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Chibuti. Uh, Chibuti. And, I gotta go to Chibuti. And everyone's like, "Don't go there. It's miserable. It's so disgusting. It's hot. It's it smells bad. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that." Really bad name for all those all those <laughs> things to to be associated with it. I, I, it. I think it's I think it's in Africa or something <laughs> like that. You know, and. But dude, like that's, I was like, no, that's, that sounds perfect. That's exactly like the kind of, I was like, I want to experience that, you know? And so yeah. like, let's set the bar and then, <laughs> and then everywhere else from there would be awesome. Yeah. So. Oh, geez. And then getting there, it's pretty much just any which way, shape or form that the military has available. Yeah. I mean, boat, plane. It's usually flying. Oh, okay. And then it's, um, what's it? Those, uh, transport planes. Uh, yeah, the big old can of whoop ass and that, um, I can't remember what type that they run. It, 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 uh, it's not C-130s. It used to be, um, I was listening to, uh, Jocko Willick talk about 
traveling on those and how people think, oh, it's probably terrible, but it's how you set up like beds. I mean, it's like a full on, you got a big space. Yeah. A lot of the time it is. And so, um, like I actually, for, uh, for like when we fly into Afghanistan, we take, um, commercial airline, uh, all the way, uh, to a a closer non-hostile country. And then from there we, we will fly on, um, something that it's, it's, it's more like you see with the, the, the photos with like the, um, the cargo netting on the side and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. And, and there's, there's usually a lot of space and, and things like that. Um, but that, that flight, if you are on a flight that is slightly miserable, they won't make it for more than, than a couple hours, you know? And so it's not like you're doing some 12, 12 plus hour flight, you know, just like shoulder to shoulder with somebody and just trying to like trying not to get in your neck to uh, un- uncrack or whatever. Yeah. But now the traveling in the military has always been, uh, been pretty, pretty good. I did this one that, um, she, what was that for? I was, I was going from Japan to, to Hawaii and I, we, no, no, no. It was, it was Japan for the Philippines. I don't know. I can't remember which one I was going to, but, um, we got, we got on this. It was, it was almost like a yacht. It was like this, it, it was a, it was this really, really nice, uh, spacious, um, <laughs> boat. <laughs> <laughs> like that, a luxury boat. It was huh? that had like a dance floor and, and had a, had a bar on this one on the other side and stuff. It was like a small little cruise liner kind of thing. It was, it was, it was some sort of yacht kind of thing Oh, that, yeah, that was able, it was, there was only, um, uh, man, there's only like a, like less than a hundred of us. And so they, there was, there was the main like cabin seating area, but, uh, they had a card room. And so a bunch of us were over there playing spades and stuff, you know, (laughs) and and so making the most of the trip, it was, it was nuts. And I was like, what the heck is going on? But that's, that's all right. And I can't remember like, like we didn't, we didn't do the whole, whole trip on that. It was just taking us to a, a different Harbor so that we could, or a different area so we can get on a, uh, on a, on a plane to, that was better. But man, I can't even, that's weird. But I just, I just, I just remember being super hung over and like thinking I was going to get on some miserable tin can. <laughs> and, 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 uh, I was like, what the, I'm on a yacht. How, how did this am I, am I, are we going to the right place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you're on the right boat. Yeah, exactly. But no, no, the, um, they, they do have the, the, the military cruise liners and stuff like that. The oh, okay. like, Muse or whatever that, that are, are much more like, uh, you have a, a a six foot hole in the wall, and there's three beds stacked on top of each other, and these tiny little spaces that you know that you have to fit into, and uh, and those are are a little bit more miserable, but um, but they're they're bigger bigger like boats, so you can at least walk around and do some stuff like that, and yeah. they usually have like gyms and things. So you'd never had to travel like say by, or I think it would probably be out of place to maybe travel by sub or travel by like have to parachute into a location or anything like that. No, no, I've wanted to. Really? Uh, Yeah. Actually, when I, 
when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I, when I was trying to decide if I wanted to get stay in or get out, um, I, I, I was pretty sure I wanted to get out because, uh, it was in 2011 and we were doing, uh, uh, it was mid Obama and he was making a big pull to get, make, get the majority of the forces out. And so there was only one more, uh, deployable, um, one more deployment going for my unit after or if I was to reenlist and it was basically just to go and break everything down and start bringing things in. Okay. And, and which was, which I knew was going to be kind of heart wrenching too, because I was like, wait, we just fought to get all that and to put everything over there. And now you're saying that in like, in, in like six months or, le- or a little bit more like by next year, you're going to yeah. send us back out to go break us. And it's like, no, 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 well we're there. It's going to be there for the, for some other country, they're going to say and occupy it. Yeah. It's like, Oh, like they occupied that base, which is on fire. Yeah. You know, kind of yeah. Stuff. <laughs> and so I was like, great. Yeah. Sweet. And so, which, and then, um, but when I, so when I was deciding if I wanted to reenlist, knowing that I, it wasn't going to be for the deployments, I wanted to go to jump school. I was like, I, and so I told the, um, it's, it's basically like the, the, the mid and, um, uh, recruiter it's like uh anyway when i was talking to the guy who was going to re-enlist me the career counselor okay i, I was like yeah i want to I, i'm thinking i want to re-enlist but i want to go to jump school can we do that and he said no that is all <laughs> fold up do you have any other um things that you want to do it's like i don't know what well, well what's open and and he was like you could go to this uh this this course where you basically do security tactics. And I was like, that sounds like cool. That sounds all right. It was like, yeah. And then you go through the, the, the OC course. I was like, what? And he was like, well, you, you have to, you, that's where they, they pepper spray you a bunch and then you have to run through and they hit you with sticks. I was like, wait, are you, are you trying to get me out? Like, I thought your job was to make me want, he's like, a lot of people want to do it. A lot of people think that it's something, uh, something cool. It's like, like I want to jump out of a plane. I don't want to get sprayed with mace. Yeah. <laughs> and so and I was like, sorry, dude. This isn't this isn't what I'm going to re-enlist for. And there's no bonuses. And oh, they, they were they were actually in the sense of kind of downsizing gotcha. at the time anyway, because they were pulling everybody out. And so, um, what was the general census? Did you feel at the time when when they heard about that? Because clearly there were people here stateside that they wanted their soldiers to come home mm-hmm. and then over there for the people who were enlisted they were able to see a different side that people here they didn't get to see yeah and when you mentioned that well we fought for all of this now we're just going to tear it down and bring it back i mean was that kind of the general tone yeah for for the most part it was it's it was kind of like one of those well that's the job you know <laughs> it's like and so that's it there, there is always those people who, I mean, it's mixed. I'm, I'm going to say that it's, it's definitely, there's more people that were like really pissed off and really like, and really weren't like, I know a lot, I, I talked to a lot of guys who, um, uh, and even myself, when, when you find out that it was like, Oh shoot, we lost singing. It's like, damn. 
Like that, that was like, I had a, I was like, there's a lot of loss that we worked for that. And, and just for, for basically, it feels like nothing. And then it's, and so you take all this pride of something that you feel like you accomplished that was basically just disregarded. And then, and then you start dealing with the fact it was like, well, why were we there in the first place? Like, what was all that even for, yeah. you know? And so, but it, when you, when you feel like it's going to last, then it, it is more of an accomplishment. And so. Um, like it wasn't for nothing. Exactly. But the, the guys who have been in long, like longer who have, have seen the system in the rotation and know that it's, it's like, no, this is just part of the rotation. Yeah. We, we go, we fight, we put it up, you know, we, we let somebody else take it over. They let the, <laughs> they let the enemy have it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they try their best. Yeah. You know, <laughs> not without, not without fight, but, uh, <laughs> And then, and then sometimes we go and we take it back again, or sometimes we're like, no, like, and so you have to, you have to look at it as like, we needed that location for that specific reason at that time. And once it's not needed anymore, there's no reason to hold on to it. And so that, that's basically how, how like it needs to be looked at, um, as upsetting as you know all the effort and stuff goes to yeah people might take pride in that sense that just like you said we we fought for this i'm holding this and there is a bigger picture yeah in play that maybe some people don't can't grasp or they're just not they're not cool with that it's like no, no we fought for this we should keep it and <laughs> yeah and then and then you start attaching lives to it and like personal relations and oh yeah stuff. and then i was like well what what was he like why, why did he do that you know i was like he gave everything so that we could have that spot and so are you saying that like like he died for nothing you know and that's so, what's got to be a real gut-wrenching moment when you know just the politics and actual lives um once it becomes personal <laughs> yeah once it becomes personal yeah i mean we i mean we've talked about this and i've had coworkers. i mean we talk about this just having old folks making decisions that young folks have to carry out and do and it's kind of like oh yeah yeah and <laughs> and it's, it's it's crazy too because now now we're becoming into the the age where we're actually having to make the decisions for the young folk to yeah. to carry out, and so, and the only thing we could do is just kind of look at um, how 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 it was when we were in the other shoe, and I was like, okay, can we can we make this better? Can we do it better for them in the future? Every year I get older, and I think to myself, it, at first it happened with my perspective of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I always have a respect for for the the people who who are set in place to like police officers and firefighters, but more so like police officers who have to keep the peace and, and do all this. And though there's just negative press, there are, I feel a lot more good people in law enforcement. And the older I get, the more I realize that um, they're just people too. Yeah. They're, they're no different than me. And as I'm getting older, it's like, well, I could have just done that job too. What makes them any different from me? And as the years go on now, I'm coming close to the age of maybe a senator or a person who is a president. And I think oh, yeah. to myself, well, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. they're not any smarter, any more special or anything than me. They're just a regular person who's, of course, their path. And like we talked about earlier, who they knew, their networking. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, navigated them into that position. Who their parents are. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, exactly. so there's, yeah, there's really no difference between us. We're all very, very similar yeah. individuals. And yeah. But, but still we, we end up having this, this thought in our mind with like the role that they play of well, older people know better or like superhumans. Yeah. You know, and, and oh, they can do no wrong because they're in this, in, in this position that we revere as uh, a much, has a much higher standing. Yeah. And, and, and now that we're kind of getting like to that, that point of, uh, of our lives where we see, I was like, dude, that guy's in the same as me. And he's an episode. I feel bad for that guy. That's got to be tough, man. <laughs> it was like, I'm, I'm going to watch him a little closer because, man, I'd be cracking under that pressure. You oh, know? yeah. And so and that's what I was like, oh, dang, good good, good for you, but whew, better you than me, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people like doctors, lawyers, the education clearly is different for their specialization, but it's nothing that could not have been learned by anybody else. Exactly. They just have to have the drive or the the ability to retain that that education or uh, information. Uh, but I think it's all about confidence when it comes to. You may have experienced this out in the field. I've seen it on job sites. It's the confidence for a person to just make a decision. Yeah. Everybody's looking to the other person. And with that decision comes the risk of if it goes wrong, all fingers are pointed back at you. Yeah. But people are looking for someone to just take the authoritative position. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I always kind of run with the, um, uh, with the, with the like play of the worst decision that you can make is no decision. Yeah. And I was just talking to somebody and there was like, Oh, that's, that's weird. I always run with the play of sometimes the best decision is no decision. And then, and then we kind of like went back and forth. I can't remember their argument of why that made sense <laughs> to them. Cause even right now I'm like, no, that's dumb. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, but, or then I was basically kind of like, I was like, no, you're making a decision to not make a move yeah. and, and staying neutral is uh, still a move. And so, but yeah, some people try to try to walk that line. And I feel like I might be that type of person as well, where it's like, I try to stay as far in the middle. Yeah, as I possibly can, but still, that's that's have that's having a position on something. That's I feel like that's that's kind of me naturally. I feel like I'm always so average and so uh, like middle of the ground, yeah. and I can usually always. I was like, oh, I see where this this person's coming from. It's like, oh no, that makes sense. I mean, that makes sense too. I just got the um the uh, the. Was it the 2020 political uh, voting catalog? Whatever, yeah, where you kind of get the you get the short version of what it is people are running for and what they're doing. I'm excited to read it. It's so <laughs> I've never been like I've never I've usually used it as like like a fire starter, you yeah. know. And so, but now I was like, oh no, this is this will be a good, interesting read. You know, it's gonna some I'm sure some stuff is gonna make me upset, but but since they're all regular people. And that are just like me. They all have their own like uh, reasonings on why they think they the, the ways they do. And yeah. so trying to figure out why that is and the logic behind it. But you just have to stay open minded. Yeah. And which is what I feel like a lot of people have a hard time with sometimes. Shoot, I mean, I guess I do too. But yeah, there are people who are hardliners when it comes to certain things. They're just like Either I am so anti Chick Fil A, maybe for what it is they stand for, or whatever as a company, 
but then they can't see the amount of employees that they've put into work or the other charitable donations that I'm sure they do. Yeah. They want to look at them for one thing uh, or, I mean, if you, if you do that, then you, you isolate yourself so much from so many things because I mean, there's so many individuals who, who aren't about what it is that you believe in and it becomes a very hard life to live. I think it becomes lonely. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it'll become lonely. And and that's what I've noticed for a a lot of people who take hard standpoints on, on things and, and let those, um, those opinions drive their personal relations without, uh, is it becomes lonely. And so when somebody's like, it's like, I can't be around that person. They, they, they think the sky is orange. You know? Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, the sky is orange, but it's blue. <laughs> you know? it's like, well, I mean, yeah, but you got to understand what, what they're saying. And so we were having a, my buddy, Steve and I, we were having a talk about this yesterday, working with individuals in the real world versus kind of like hypotheticals with maybe people who are in prison mm-hmm. and how on the people who find themselves in prison somewhat, they have to segregate themselves between either race or gang. And out on the streets, it's even more segregated even between the races with the different gangs. But for some reason, in the workplace, you kind of all just have to toe the line. Yeah. Whatever it is that you're going through or whomever you're against. Uh, because we talk about working with individuals who are maybe uh, much more radical in their personal lives or their personal beliefs. Um, he was talking about, uh, have I ever worked with, say, a white supremacist or someone who is like that? And... I believe I have. Uh, not, well, I won't name any names or anything like that, but I was... Jeffrey. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to tell him that, you know, I think even within maybe a white supremacist community or group that you, just like with religion, yeah, you have people who believe in it, who through camaraderie might feel cheated by certain things like uh, affirmative action, who might feel like there's not enough of their community within a workplace so they're not given the same opportunities and so they'll band together and find camaraderie but then you'll have extremists much like every group there's always extremists yeah so they might be very prideful and feel very very good about their their culture their race and everything like that uh but yeah you have extremists too i mean like that you had um what was it um I don't know what African groups were calling themselves at the time or if there's still any today, but I mean, then you also have black Panthers Mm -hmm. and those were considered, that group was considered much more extreme because they would carry around guns and things like that. And what were much more militant. Yeah. Uh, But in the workplace, it's like, y'all have to toe the line. But I feel like even with that, that was um, the, those were the ones that were getting the, the limelight were the, the extremists that were toting guns and stuff like that. I mean, because even with like Black Panthers, it's 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 a mindset, you know, that is from that's based off of people's experiences and people's opinions, and so there that had to have just been like the 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 outline of the community that was inside of it, yeah, that weren't these like radical individuals that were like, that were definitely focused on more of the point of their, um, their situation. Yeah. And the context too, that the black Panthers, uh, came about in during yeah. the time of Martin Luther King. Um, you know, they were, they were done 
Yeah. Like they, they were done with everything that was going on. It was like change has to happen and it has to happen right now. How can we do this the fastest? Yeah. Not tomorrow. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, we're serious. So let's hold guns. Yeah. That's pretty serious, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, it's like, I don't want to hold a gun. All right. You don't, you're holding a gun though. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I mean, working with people who have differences of opinions and everything like that or have, I mean, it's just you're going to find these people in all walks of life. And I think that you can very easily hold conversations with people, especially in the workplace. I think the blue collar work world is one of the last frontiers or last sort of like melding pot, melding pots for people to just be real yeah, and be raw with one another. Because you, you work in maybe a white collar job and, you know, there's all these certain hoops and, yeah. and obstacles that you need to navigate and avoid without offending somebody. Whereas in a shop, I mean, you just tell it straight up. Yeah. And you're, you're able to get away with having some more, um, uh, conflict causing opinions and stuff yeah. in, in blue collar, but you still have to know where the line is. And so like, like you said, it's like, I think I might've worked with a white supremacist, but, and, and he totally probably like was, but he knows that it was like, Hey, if I express these opinions, um, I'm going to get fired or yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to cause trouble in the workplace and then I'm going to lose this job. One, you know, blue collar work like construction, for example, is an opportunity for those the second time around. Yeah. So that's why I say, I think, because though he was still donning the SS tattoo, yeah. I figured, well, it could have been acquired maybe while previous yeah. like, uh, a while ago kind of stuff. Yeah, it could have been acquired a while ago and maybe he's just not gotten the time to get it removed. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a circumstantial tattoo. Exactly. And then and there's people who, who hold on to that and was like, No, that's part of my story. That's part of who I yeah. am, you know. It's like, no, I'm not about it anymore, or whatever, or yeah, it's still <laughs> you know, but <laughs> But, it's a good conversation starter. Exactly, it, it's like, exactly. hey, where'd you get that? What's that? Funny story. Is <laughs> that you know, no. the Chevy Super Sport? <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> but that is a very awesome vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. And so it, it's, it is, it is interesting when, uh, when you get into that, like, like different blue collar work and stuff like that to watch the melding pot that happens. And actually, uh, my my dad would always tell me um he he was a general contractor for uh a, and built a lot of the homes out in Point Sal Dunes okay and uh he he hired a lot of the locals out there um he i he, he didn't know that he was hiring people from rival gangs oh and <laughs> and uh and so they would they would go out and they would all work and they would work together on the job site and it's like their colors came off once you know the work bell rang and it's like yeah when they left work on their way home there was a stabbing a couple of times you know stuff, <laughs> stuff happened or whatever but but it's that it's that same concept that that you know when you're at work you know it's it's a different field yeah, you need a job. You need income. Yeah, yeah. And all that other, you know, machismo stuff that has to stay that has to stay home. Yeah, definitely. You know, and so yeah. otherwise you're unemployable. You're it's, not gonna <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't provide. Yeah. And so because at some point, yeah, what your your personal beliefs aren't gonna put food on the table. 
And so, unless I guess unless you're really really persuasive, yeah. But <laughs> it's like, but then you get into the whole. Never mind. Yeah, like yeah, big churches and stuff. But. I I never understood the types that could could never. I guess maybe maybe I feel like gangs and and getting into that as like a young man's game. Yeah. So whenever I yeah. hear of individuals who would call themselves veterans in the gangs or something like that, I think to myself, like, that's still? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you'd think that the real world would have woke you up to the unimportance of that, yeah. the unimportance of your one single block. Yeah. And well, the amount of, I guess, the amount of pull that they might have if they were to maybe influence some of these younger individuals that we have a combined collective, maybe a gang, maybe a Mexican gang or a, a, um, a white gang or anything like that, and move that to maybe drive your local political Yeah, that's that's exactly system. what I was thinking. It's like, could you imagine if you applied that same dedication and that same heart-filled attitude yeah. to, ooh, I'm going to open a food bank, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> yeah, because as I was getting older, I started realizing that I cared about certain things like potholes in the street. Yeah. And it's like, why does my street have potholes? Bro. I was, no, I don't even, don't even get me started at that. <laughs> I'm so like, I, what am I paying? I'm looking at my taxes. I just paid 600, 600 and some odd dollars in vehicle registration yesterday. And I'm all, <laughs> and then I started like, I was like, if that's what I paid. And like, cause I was, I was at the school and I was like, there is, uh, there's over like, there's over 50 parking lots here. I was like, that's, I was like, okay. And then I looked up online. I was like, how many vehicles were registered in California? It was like yeah. 14 million. Okay. If each one of those is paying what I am, that's over, that's about $6 billion. Yeah. And, and just vehicle registration. And I was, and I was like, that's all just going to the state, you know? And so I was like, what the, I was like, why is there potholes? Well, yeah. Can't, can't we use like a couple hundred dollars of that to, to <laughs> fill that in? Or? But people aren't going to do anything if they don't know it's there. Yeah. If if like say you're living in a in a in a low income neighborhood or you're living in an area that is just considered an afterthought by the by the community, there the local government is not going to do anything for them because they never show up to yeah. the to the town hall meetings. They never show up to express these these feelings. And things like potholes are now driving your property value down, and then it's driving in other people who are of low income, who unfortunately you know you you get all these other things that kind of just self-propel or self-perpetuate the problem yeah and and i i feel like the uh the town halls and stuff they they happen but i don't feel like it's really everly like wellly um advertised get, yeah you know and so it's like i would i would totally go to it if i knew when it was yeah to be transparent i've never been to one yeah me neither. <laughs> no no totally but i've never known when they happen yeah. i only hear about them later when like when the old lady down the street was like Oh, they're on it. They're always there. It's like, how did you find? It's like, yeah. And I was like, it's not a mailer. I was like, it's like, is it a fax? Are they doing this by fax? Because I don't have a fax machine. That's the only thing that I can think of. You Dude, know, we were talking about it. Um, there's a one of one of the guys I work with is an avid camper, outdoor liver uh, yeah. enthusiast, um, which I I'll talk to you about after we talk about this. Um, he is really upset about what is happening at the dunes. Oh, really? In, in what sense? Apparently, well, he's given me the gist, so I feel like I need to do more research, but I only have his side of the story, is that individuals who live up on the Mesa in the really nice, fancy homes 
are complaining about the air quality because of all the dirt that's being kicked up by the ATVs and the off-roading. I've heard this. I've heard this. So because of that, they're, they're wafting in all of this sand and this poor air quality that's making the quality of life. And they're, they're trying to state that, you know, it could lead to, to a shorter lifespan and all this other stuff. So they want the dunes to be shut down for off-roading. Yeah. Just make it a public beach, but no more camping, no more ATVing, no more, you know, four by fouring or whatever yeah. the case may be. And because apparently they hold town meetings for this at times where everyone's at work except for the retired. Yeah. Only the retired are, are able to go there and complain and, and complain about this. And so I believe that they've already begun shutting down certain things or they're limiting the amount of people that can be out there and the direction it's going, it's going to be a slow draw, but the dunes will no longer be what they are now. That it's been kind of going in that direction. Um, since they started limiting the area for recreational vehicles yeah. out there. And you heard the old timers talking about like, it was like, Oh man, no, we, we, there was no fences out here. There was no where you could go, where you couldn't go and stuff. Oh yeah. For those birds or whatever. Snowy plovers. I know. And so, yeah. And then, uh, the snowy plovers and then there was, and then, and then, then there was some plant that they had to watch for. Oh, I guess there was some, some preservation for where the, the, the Chumash shell, uh, uh, piles. Okay. There's uh, giant piles of shells out there. That the They're just making it larger and larger and so over time, the amount of areas that you cannot that you be in. Th- uh, hard down on. And, and so eventually, yeah, it's that they're going to break, they're going to break it down to nothing, but that's just the way of the state. Well, they know? also talk about how the, and it's probably primarily the out of towners. I'll say it's those Bakersfield folk and yeah. everybody else who come out and they do their camping and they do their ATVing, but then they leave the mess. That's a bummer. Yeah, no, and then that, and that's, they, they dig a hole, they bury it, and they don't realize that the wind is eventually going to bring that stuff back up. Yeah, that's one surefire way to pretty much end shut your, yeah, get, get it shut down. And it shuts it down for us. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and it's, it's a bummer. Um, I, I, I partly feel like, the the idea of the for the the wind quality i feel like there's there's better arguments that they could have used if they wanted to um get it all shut down but on the same on the same half uh air quality due to all the fires and everything is kind of a hot button so yeah. if they're able to jump on that hot button and to to move their their agenda then they're going to but um it it's a windy beach it is, and that's what this my coworker was saying. That yeah, it's not just the ATVs. Like the wind is always going to be blowing that sand yeah. in your direction, and it's it's gonna if it's gonna it's only the ATVs are gonna affect it only during certain uh, wind directions, you know, <laughs> and because where the ATVs are is is pretty far away from the, the, the homes, you know? It is. And so it's not like, and since there's a, there's a very regulated speed limit on the beach itself, it's not like anyone's speeding right past their front door and kicking up all this dirt. Yeah. And so, uh, the, it it would have to, it'd have to be like a, uh, a, a Northeast wind 
if there was a northeast wind, then then maybe the ATV's kicking it up over Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, you know this one time of year when it's really popping out there, or you know Fourth of July kind of thing. Otherwise, it's pretty mellow during the rest of the year. The air quality is going to be what it is. Yeah, and that's what you get for living on the beach. And I think that he his <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think that that was one of the things that he had mentioned too was that you know they're bringing in like maybe pseudo scientists or individuals with testing equipment that isn't really just giving the most accurate readings it's given like a lot of hypotheticals over the course of 50 years people will experience this and the i feel like the only way that they're going to be able to actually figure it out is they would have to shut down for a year yeah they would have to take a full season a full year off to be like okay from this day to this day what was the air quality on every single day cut the average of that and then be like okay during the active season what was it you know and so it'd be it'd be a, a two or three year kind of I know. Uh, uh, process, but no, for them just to kind of go out and shut it down, like, yeah, that 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 is a bummer. There's a huge part of my life growing up dirt biking on those dunes. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I would imagine if they would have, I can't believe that they're not having a, an easier time shutting the dunes down due to the deaths. Yes. Out there. Dude, every year. Every There's year at least during six. Yeah. <laughs> There's at least six deaths a year. The the fact that we have ambulances with the off road tires. Yeah. Yeah. That are tearing down Grand Avenue. Yeah. Just to get there. I've had buddies been picked up in them out there, you know? And so yeah. it's like, yeah. It gets wild. It, and it, I mean, I'm neither I'm neither here nor there because I've been to the dunes. I can count on well, like one hand the amount of times I've been out there. Mm. I don't do ATVing. I don't do off-roading, but I also don't care to have that shut down Right. for like, I don't see the reason why No. we have it now. And you're talking about air quality, but there's no real huge like study that's being done about it. I feel like it's a neighbor being complacent about something else. But then when you talk about seeing the flip side of things, yeah. say you lived there and it's like, well, Okay, I don't want my my air quality to be bad. Right. Yeah, but it, it it's tough in the sense of at because it's been going on for so long. Unless there was somebody who's lived there before all of the ATVs <laughs> and stuff like that, you know, you knew what you were getting into, or you yeah. should have known what you were getting into when you when you signed that paperwork. Like when you buy a house next to a railroad track. Exactly. Like that you train is going to come by. You don't sue the railroad track once you start living there. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, I mean, it's okay. Just just not between this hour and this hour while I'm sleeping. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, man, that's that's part of the economic of this area. Like, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't I didn't look at it that. Way. It's like, it's like it's, <laughs> we, we used to have a guy here um, in in Napomo who was always trying to stop construction and everything. Was always trying to uh, he he wanted to get most of the eucalyptus trees taken down. He wanted it all back, but he he wanted it to be how it was when he first got there. And so he was he didn't like how it was progressing. And because he said he didn't sign up to live in the place that it's turning into. Yeah, and. There, there's a little bit more of a logic sense of that than, yeah, and of moving in and being like, no, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of like the amount of growth that we do here. It's, it's very destructive. Yeah, it's not like we're building homes 
between trees. Yeah. We're just straight up demolishing huge like acres, acre lots. Yeah. In order to make space for concrete and asphalt and, and houses. And we're not really putting much trees back Doing up. Doing anything with it. And and yeah, we were trying to um I thought if that was maybe like a, a tree to home ratio would be great. There's some areas that are like this. I want to say Santa in, Maria. Where, yeah. When I lived in Santa Maria, you 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 had to have a tree in your in somewhere on your property, and so I'm, I, was, I was like, that's cool. <laughs> a place that's really wild with with um, landscape is well, when I went up to Washington, there are trees everywhere. Yeah, and Thousand Oaks. Okay. I mean, there's trees yeah. everywhere. There's homes nestled between all these trees. Yeah, uh, um, Merced. Uh, where my mom lives, um, they're, they're, that's called the city of trees. Yeah, right? you know they're really conscious about all that all that concept. But the what they're doing over here, like with the on the mesa, um, and they're it, it, it's it's cool. A lot of the homes, I'm really stoked to have everything developed. But at the same time, uh, the, all, what they're also not realizing is the the wind that's coming through that those trees used to block. Oh yeah is just tearing and now you have all these people and it's cause it's making uh poor air quality because it's all these these pollens and stuff that people weren't usually yeah. getting are now <laughs> getting all freaking out over and so I, I've, I've been seeing more people over here at the local grocery store with, with masks, you know, <laughs> like during pollen season. And so, Dude, I actually wear one. Like, no joke, I'm wearing uh, my, my old welding mask Yeah, when, when I'm to, doing the lawn. Oh, I was like, when you go grocery shopping? No, yeah. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not that extreme. But yeah. when doing yard work, yeah, I wear a mask now because it gets so intense. It gets, it gets nuts. But I wanted to ask you about camping because that's so, one of the things. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you're the guy. Let's go. I just got I just got this new field and stream um uh 50 liter uh, uh camp bag. Really I'm stoked. Dude, so I want to start taking my son camping or I want to introduce camping to him. I'm probably going to do baby steps and have him camp in the backyard. Yeah. Uh and then maybe do like Lopez Lake or Pismo mm-hmm. out there at the what is the but near the butterfly grove? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, something simple, the just swamp. car camping. Yeah, that swamp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll go during the summer when the, right, some right, of that right. water's dried up. But yeah, it. Ugh. Bro, I, I, yeah, I. So pretty much, like I, I like I'm starting from scratch. Last time I went camping, I was a kid myself. Yeah. So, where are we at with Coleman equipment nowadays? Uh, Should I even look at Coleman? Yeah, you you can, but I mean, I wouldn't go the route of going with those old gas lamps and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll go LED, but like tent oh, wise. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what you what you're what what you be looking at and stuff. And obviously, um, that's actually a good brand if you're not looking to invest heavy. You know, they have obviously way gnarlier stuff, but you don't want to go like North Face, yeah, or anything like that. No, nah, we're not that's, going. We're not going extreme. Exactly. We're not winter camping out here. And that's why. That's actually kind of why I stick with most uh, field and stream. It's it's uh, it's a good it's a good brand. That's um, I consider kind of on the higher end of all the things that could be lower, but it's it's still middle. Like yeah. it's 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 like kind of in, in between high and middle <laughs> and so it's good stuff but i'll tell you my big mistake with with taking my son camping was i took him tent camping at lopez and it was good he was okay he had an he was okay at time and then the next time i got a cabin 
Okay, so he got a little spoiled. And now doesn't want to have a thing to do with a tent. <laughs> now that he knows that there's a place that has Wi-Fi, <laughs> why would I go into a place that doesn't? And so yeah, that was my my big thing. And so now if I'm if I'm like using my backpack to go camping and go and hiking out and it's it's pretty much by myself. <laughs> and so um yeah, my wife, she wants, she, she said she'll go camping. Yeah. But like in an RV. And I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Like we gotta, yeah, you know, we gotta rough it. Start, start making some, um, uh, uh, v- like verbal definitions. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, well, it's like, yeah, no, if you want to do that, we'll do that, but let's not call it camping. Let's call it RVing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Cause I had a lot of fun and I remember, you know, breakfast on the, the Coleman gas burner. Yeah. And sleeping in a tent and being excited to, to set up and like sweep the leaves out of the way and oh, pitch exactly. the tent and all Make that stuff. Make your area. Yeah. You know, kind of, yeah, no, that is, that was, that is the fun part, you know? So I'm excited to introduce them to, to that kind of stuff. Um, ch- check out, uh, uh, Santa Margarita. Okay. Dude, I love that place. And, and so they have a, they have a good KOA out there uh, if for for spots, but that's where I took my son, and he, that's where we go cabining. And so, but uh, the actual next to the lake itself has some good camping spots okay. to to be able to check that out. And it's it's tucked away, so Lopez can get uh, busy even even on the off years. I feel like there's a lot of times where you're still gonna f- be next to a bunch of people, and like. That's that's I that's my least favorite part about camping. Yeah, is when you're camping and there's a bunch of people around. Yeah, it feels like it's just like a gypsy community exactly. or something like that. Unless they're your people, you know, if you're going with a big group or whatever, then it's cool. But n- nine times out of ten, I'm going out to nature to isolate myself. Yeah, you know, and I isolate from the world, and and so, and so I don't want to go to where else the world is. Yeah, you know, and so um, uh, yeah, Santa Margarita has a. a um, usually, I mean, unless, unless you're going towards, towards the summer and then it's always tough, but if you want to really go out there, there's some campsites out of 166 that isn't by any body of water or anything like that, but it's, they're just rural, um, single campsites. Oh, and the, those are, those are tight. Those are, I'm, I haven't, I haven't hit one yet. I'm just looking at them right now. Yeah. Um, but they look totally, totally the area that I want to be. And so, um, yeah, I can't go fishing, but <laughs> still like it's. So then I, I grew up sleeping on the floor. Mm-hmm. Where are we at with cot sleeping? So heavy, so gnarlier now. Um, uh, but even if you, even if you want to sleep on the floor, that's good. But the, the ISO mat technology today is so much farther than the foam mat that 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 used to be having. Yeah. And so, because you want to put a mat down, I mean, you can just sleep on the floor, but it gets cold. Yeah. The 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 earth will just absorb any warmth that you have in your sleeping bag, and so you want to put that little filter down in between it. And uh, it used to be that those filters were like these these hefty things that were about the size of a rolled up tent. Like it was like, okay, you have your tent on this part of the bag and then you have your, your isomat there. But now they have these these mats that they uh, they fold like an accordion kind of thing. Oh, okay. And and so that and they're real light. Um and then uh <clears throat> in uh, in the military we actually have uh in the in the CBs we got uh these blow up 
ISO mats okay. that are inflatable and they're kind of like on this weird auto inflate system. Uh, so you just kind of open it up and then the bag absorbs and then you kind of breathe in a, like a little bit to kind of get it uh, more firm. And then it's like your own little air mattress. The air inside doesn't become an issue getting cold. No, overnight. not usually because it, it's, it's, it's just a buffer spot. Okay. And so it's as long as, as long as it's not like direct contact with the ground, then, then you should be good. And then plus it's also going to absorb a lot of those rocks that you missed. Yeah, you know, kicking through and stuff, or those. The, I mean, if if you're on a slope, you're on a slope. But uh, they they have cots and stuff that you're on a slope. You have adjustable legs. Oh, okay. And so that you can still get a level level sleeping ground and stuff. Yeah. Um. Because I don't know if the cot, like, if there's air between you and the floor, if that's also like a vacuum to suck heat. For for like open cot, if there's like, um, <coughs> ventilation, you know, if if it's then then it can be. But not when it comes to like a, a, a an ISO mat, a, a air mattress ISO okay. mat. It's not gonna because it's a closed off uh, situation. But if you have something that's circulating air underneath you, then yeah, it's gonna get a little yeah, a little cold. Like when I use a cot, I still put my I still put an ISO mat on top on of top it. of it. Okay, to to eliminate that, and then it's also just more comfortable. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, yeah. But I always I usually got a one or two cots laying around. I don't use them when I go camping a lot only because, uh, it just takes up space and you're, there's a weight issue. If it's a, if it's a camping spot that I'm going to back into, like yeah. just have it with my truck, I might, I might, I might throw it in there, you know, depending on the size of my tent. But for the most part, that's not, it's not a, a necessity and sleeping on the ground to me is, is a big part of it. It's comfortable too, like sleeping on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you more space inside the tent. I mean, I guess not underneath the cot. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just a big, uh, element to it. But I mean, during, during the summers when the nights are warm, um, I grew up on property. Uh, me and my buddies would just go out and take our sleeping bags and then throw them out, out, out at the, uh, the back 40 somewhere and, you know, just sleep outside, no tent or anything. As long as it's nice and warm, yeah. that's the best way in my opinion. <laughs> um, but, Dude, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I'm not, I've never roughed it that, that much. Yeah. But <laughs> as long as you're in an area that you're comfortable with, but yeah. I mean, it's a, <laughs> definitely a backyard activity. Yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah. that's all good stuff. Like I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. And well, and you're you're already on the right track with Yeti. I know, dude. That that that's a a, a mind bending technology. It's crazy, like how how far they've come with just insulating cups. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like before Yeti, it was just garbage. Yeah. Before that, like uh, the cup would keep it keep your coffee warmer, maybe like ten minutes longer. We than, didn't we didn't know it was garbage. Yeah, you know, at the time we were excited. And then like, this came out, and it's like this cup. This cup keeps my coffee warm until nine a.m. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh. you know, I was working in Santa Clarita during like the summer, and I would have ice in my cup or in my Yeti. I have like a larger tumbler. Yeah, that I keep at work, and I would have ice in that from in the morning when I would go to work, and then all day long, I, the ice would melt by like two, oh, and it was really? like almost time to go home. My my issue with it is honestly it usually insulates it too well, like with the heat, because I'll I'll fill up the coffee in my in my yeti and then um 
and then uh, I'll put the lid on it. And then there's times where I'll, I'll forget about it until about like one o'clock. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this coffee. Sweet. <laughs> and I open it up and it is just as hot when I poured it into that and I still can't drink it. It's too hot right now. Dang it. You know? And so then I have to leave the lid open and leave it on, leave it out for a while yeah. just to cool it down. And so it's like, that's usually my struggle. Dude, I forgot my tumbler. Uh, I forgot to take it to work the other day and I just used one of those like cups that they had yeah. at work. And after it pretty much like I made my coffee and right after our morning meeting, I set it down at the machine and it was already like done. Yeah. I was already cold. There's, there's a, there's that, that, that gravy point that you have to hit with it. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's too hot. All right. It's perfect. Now drink it now. Drink yeah, it before it gets too cold. You got to down the whole thing. Yeah. This you is it. <laughs> you can't savor it. No, not at all. <laughs> so, Dude. That's, that's fair. <laughs> well, right on, man. I definitely want to thank you for coming back again oh, and no, being on here. Yeah. I mean, we could fun. go on for hours. We still, we'll still talk, but I tried, after the recording. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I tried to come in without things, but there was things I, I like, I, I was like, wanted to talk about, but yeah. I didn't talk about any of them. <laughs> so, You're going to have to come back again <laughs> then. Or something, you know, Dude, let's figure out, we should do a, do a hike, try to figure out how to do a podcast on a hike. Dude, I have a um, wireless mic. What? Yeah. All right, next one then. Wait. Next one we'll hike. <laughs> Let's see if we get tech with that. Right on, man. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to listen to this. And until next time, see ya. Late.